Lost Talk Radio. Everybody to Vibe Time with Jerry. I'm back with my co-host David Flowers and my special guest Dennis Eslock. So I'm just going to hop right into everything because we're got to check to make sure that everything is working on Facebook Live as usual. How you doing, Dennis? I'm okay. You're just okay. Okay, hi, Kimberly. That's a lie. Hi, Kimmy. Hey, Kimberly. Oh, good. Glad that we sound and look good. Just to let everybody know I'm I'm alive. So So I want to go in the flesh. I'm so confused. I'm doing fine. How's everybody doing tonight? Hi, shy and quiet bullshit. Yeah, I know, Ronnie. He's such a freaking line on that one. Oh, my God. Hi, Shayla. Yeah. I'm so offended. I, I did. I, I just, I, I sure did. I did go there. So, how did the um, flags go? It went good. went good. We had uh, half a dozen people showed up to help us. Um we did 225 flags that were donated from VFW Auxiliary Post 9808 uh, Mechanicsville. So and we burned up another roughly 80 to 100. That was at Woodland. Oh, wow. Uh, so we're over 300 uh, veteran headstones at Woodland now that we take care of. In addition to that, Brian and I left, went over to Evergreen, East End, that area. It's not as bad as I expected. I think there's a lot of volunteers that have stepped up. For those that don't know, Enrichment Foundation, which is a nonprofit, stepped in, basically stole the properties that are known as Evergreen, or the four cemeteries in Evergreen. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of in the middle of the night, they snuck in and made the purchase. I think, honestly, the sole purpose for them having done that, the 
General Assembly of Virginia for what a hundred years has been given money for Confederate cemeteries and their up, upkeep and maintenance and everything else. And we're talking nearly half a million dollars a year. Last I saw it was like $487,000 a year that they gave just for white cemeteries. Well, all of a sudden here comes Enrichment Foundation out of the shadows and goes, we want to buy this. And at first, all of us were like, where the hell did they even come from? They have no stewardship history, no past or anything of any um, cemetery care, nothing. They were just out of nowhere. We're like, something's not right. There's a reason they're doing this. And then we find out about this half million dollars General Assembly is giving for the states. So uh, there's Kimmy. I have to look at three different pages to see the chat. I'm sorry. <laughs> God, I feel like a crackhead looking all over the place. Yeah, you'll be all right. Um, so Enrichment Foundation has a history of bumbled affairs. 17th Street Marketplace downtown Richmond was under enrichment. Uh, that was just a major flop. There were you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that can't account for, blah, blah, blah. They also have tyings to, since they were an umbrella uh, 501C, they had a bunch of small organizations beneath them. They're all out now tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars because enrichment just went poof, we're gone. So when they bought Evergreen, they snatched it away from Prince of each end, East End, and Marvin, who ultimately bought Woodland Cemetery, formed the Evergreen Foundation with the intent that he was going to buy Evergreen Cemetery and actually make it what it was supposed to be, which was a showcase, uh, a nice cemetery that you could visit go see your loved ones and whatnot. Friends of East End had spent, God, I don't know, nearly a decade working on the property. They worked hand in hand with us when we would go out to do the flags. Well, in Richmond, uninvited us to do the flags. Um, that caused quite a stink. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Then we discovered several hundred of our flags had been just thrown in the dumpster. Yeah. That caused another big stink, and it caused Dennis to be an asshole. Imagine that. No. Not Dennis. Dennis isn't an asshole. Dennis almost went to jail. Uh, because as soon as I get the uh, notification that all of our flags have been thrown at the dumpster, I went to Evergreen. I want to see this firsthand. Well, Jim, their caretaker that care, stepped uh, up and he's like, well, yeah, we threw them all away so we can mow everything and trim and blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking around going, what'd you trim? What'd you mow? Uh -huh. Not a damn thing. Right. It's a weed field. And there's over 400 flags now in the damn dumpster. See, you don't throw my flags in a dumpster. Right. Well, no, they're not ceremonial flags. They hold no particular value. Decorations. Okay, it was at that moment 
Hey, John. My blood went into instant boiling. And I said, let me tell you something. There's over 400 veterans out here. That that flag is the only recognition they get. And for 40 years, this cemetery has been abandoned. And for the past five years, we have come out here long before you ever even stepped foot on this property. We were macheting our way into the woods and everything else to place these flags. So yes, they do have a uh, of course great they do. Yeah. There is no sense in them being in the dumpster. Nope. But then I spent a couple hours digging through the dumpster pulling out flags. Mm -hmm. And he came over and he was like, listen, I'll get volunteers to pull all the flags out. I'll get them bagged up and get them to you. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. That's fine. It's fine. So they did that. And then they turned around and they um, gifted us uh, 300 flags. So, but that was pretty much the only positive thing that they did. Hey, Savage. But, yeah, then, so Ryan and I, after we went to Woodland, we went over to Evergreen. Of course, we don't have... 400 flags or the rest of the day to do flags. Right. Um, but we did place about 200 more evergreen. Um, you know, and there's, and just like Woodland, Evergreen Cemetery has misplaced headstones. Mm -hmm. uh, up in the like visitor parking area, there's five headstones leaned up against a tree. That about five years ago, there was a group of volunteers from the Warrior Project found them while working hand in hand with friends of East End and brought them out from an under literally a trash pile. Somebody had dumped their trash out there. Uh, hey, Shayla. So, and the only thing that I could do, pretty much the same thing we do with the stack that's at Woodland. Right. Uh, you know. The stack is approximately 100 headstones that were put behind the chapel at Woodland. Um, the biggest majority of them are military headstones. Not know the exact placement for each of those uh, soldiers. Therefore, I those headstones that. stay where they're at for now. But some of them go to Evergreen. Some of them go to a church in Southside, Virginia. Uh, there's a couple that belong at Woodland. There's some that go at other cemeteries. And John Shuck, 13, 14 years ago, started cleaning up Evergreen. John Shuck has been trying to research all of these headstones, find these soldiers, mm -hmm. find their remains so we can repatriate them with their headstone. And in turn, he got, as he put it, um, talked into working at a, another cemetery that's uh, fairly abandoned. Oh, wow. And there's headstones there that belong at Evergreen. Oh, goodness. Uh, Woodland. Now, that, that uh, I want to say it was Blanchard Cemetery. Uh, hey, Katrina. But he said, you know, I'm not real sure how it will go if we go in and try to take these headstones from, it's a city-owned cemetery. Mm -hmm. And I went, I assure you, if you tell them who you are and why you're taking these headstones, they will shut their mouth and help you load them. Oh, yeah. But, hey, Dennis. Yeah. Um, I believe it was on Ryan's 
picture of some headstones laying out. That's part of the stack. Yeah. It, well, last year when, or earlier in the year when I was helping out, they were laid out. Something going on with them? Yeah, like I said, John Shuck is inventorying them, uh, cataloging those headstones and researching the uh, soldiers to find out where those headstones belong. That's how we know a couple of them go to East End. Hey, John. Some of them belong at Evergreen. Um, they belong all over the place, and we're just trying to find out exactly where. So John Shuck is, is trying to track them all down. Gotcha. Hey, John. But, you know, in order to do that, you have to pull that stack apart. Uh, now, and with that stack, the biggest, the only thing that I know to do, done it for the, I think, four years now that we've been doing Woodland, do a silent, or we do a prayer for those soldiers, uh, and we pull the stack partway apart and stick a flag between the heads of them. And you know, until we can figure out exactly where those soldiers are actually buried. It's pretty much all we know to do. Hey, Ryan. And you do that twice a year, right? Yeah, we do it Memorial Day and Veterans Day. And I know before anybody gets their hair in a tizzy, oh, well, you don't do it on Veterans Day, blah, blah, blah. Look, we don't know which of these soldiers died in combat, right. which is what Memorial Day is for. And which of these soldiers died of old age at home, which is what Memorial Day is for. So we do know the difference between Memorial Day's purpose and Veteran Day purpose. Right. The trouble is we don't know when these soldiers passed. And for the most part, we don't know, know any history on the soldiers. So they're working on all that. Uh, I guarantee you, Kimmy, John Shuck is all over ancestry. God, if you go look at uh, findagrave.com, I yeah. think he's surpassed 20,000 uh, submissions. Oh, wow. John Shuck has been doing an amazing job. And those who died in battle, they're still veterans. So. Yeah, yeah. So they still deserve it on Veterans Day. But, you know, Memorial Day is supposed to be reserved for those that died in battle. And Veterans Day is just for those that served, right. period. And, you know, I can't distinguish who's who laid to rest. Right. Uh, so far, Woodland Cemetery, I don't think I have found any Civil War uh, headstones. But I know two, and I hope I get this right, it's Charlie Company, 6th Virginia, Spanish-American War soldiers, and they're buried about... 400 feet apart. So these two men likely stood side by side in battle, and they're laid just a couple of hundred feet apart in the cemetery. I haven't gone so far as to pay attention to date of death. But, you know, when we were doing Evergreen, I did research on a particular soldier that I found there, and I found just an absolutely amazing story on him. So his name is uh, Captain, oh, God, it just went right through my brain. Mm -hmm. That happens. Sounds like me. Oh, my God. Captain William 
not calling them right at the moment. Um, or Ryan, if you happen to know it offhand, throw it up in the chat. Or I can go back and look through my pictures, but then you're going to start looking at my phone for a few minutes. Um, so he served in Spanish-American War. As I said, it's my favorites. No, because I'm just that much of a loser. Uh, anyway, he was, I, so the first thing that you have to understand is Evergreen, uh, East End, Woodland, they are all primarily, I don't even know if it's primarily or actually solely black cemeteries. Um, Evergreen Cemetery started at the turn of the century in answer to Hollywood Cemetery. Now, if you're familiar with Richmond and you're familiar with Hollywood Cemetery, it was the um, black cemetery to be buried, or Hollywood Cemetery was the cemetery to be buried in. There are, I want to say, four presidents buried there, mm -hmm. but because of segregation and Jim Crow and all that bullshit back then, these men didn't write the same. So, if you were black, you couldn't be buried in Hollywood Cemetery. So what ended up happening is they went and bought land and decided we're going to have our own cemetery that is going to be of as nice a value or as nice of a uh, location as Hollywood Cemetery. Um, so that's exactly what they did. So they founded Evergreen Cemetery. There's I, don't know, I think they've estimated 40 or 50,000 uh, soldiers or people, period. There we go. So let's see if this shows up. I'm going to have to flip over to StreamYard. But his name is Captain William A. Hankins. Mm -hmm. Let's see if it shows up. Oh, oh great. Well, it did. Yeah, it did until my fat fingers locked my phone. Yeah. Okay, he was a captain. Oh, wow. Uh, now, uh, his date of death is 1902, May 12. Uh, 48th U.S. Volunteer Infantry. And I love that it's the Volunteer Infantry. So Captain Hankins, as it turns out, was one of seven men of color in the entire United States Army to make the rank of captain. That in itself is impressive. Right. But... He and his men were dispatched, ordered to the Philippines during the Spanish-American War. Um, so they all get to Florida before they board their vessel and head off to um, Portugal. They go into, now he has uh, 58 men in the 48th, or 53 men in the 48th. So he and However, many of his men go into this restaurant in Florida. They're going in for dinner before they ship out. And they're told, we don't serve your kind here. You can go somewhere else to eat. Now, the, those that know me know I don't give a rat's ass if you're skinny, white, black, green, purple, whatever. I don't play that shit. So that always hurts me. Because this is a soldier that has, uh, for lack of better terms, written a check to this country up to an equal to the value of his own life. And they're told, we don't serve your kind here. 
you have to go somewhere else to eat. That's nice shit. But what was the time? So anyway, um, Captain Hankins and his uh, 53 men from the 48th are assigned a enemy outpost. You have to go overtake this outpost. Um, three companies of white-led white soldiers have already retreated from this outpost to um, death and injury amongst their ranks. So they have abandoned horses, weapons, everything, just fell back. So Captain Hankins sets his men up at like 2 in the morning and at first light fires the first shot, overruns the enemy outpost, then is told, well, that's the outer outpost you need, that one. So it's charging in. Now, to overrun the first outpost, he had zero loss among his men. To overrun the second outpost, lost one man. So he and his 53 men defeat these two enemy outposts. Attrition amongst the enemy ranks was three times his ranks. They killed over 150 men with those 40, uh, 53 men to take those two enemy outposts and raise the Stars and Stripes. Now, do you think he got a ticker tape parade? Do you think there was headlines in the Wall Street Journal or any of that? No, not a damn thing. And in the middle of this weed field, we discover his headphone or head covered in ivy, um, you know, waist-deep brush and everything else. And that's what made me decide I'm going to research him. That's how I found this story. Now, my question comes in, I, we used to place over 400, or 400 flags at Evergreen East End. How many stories similar to that are there?
through there, and we found a couple of dozen headstones. Yeah, Shayla, don't worry. She's She's got that invisibility cloak on point, man. She does it on investigations, too. You'll turn around all of a sudden, and she's gone. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing how much progress they're making. And once Marvin bought the cemetery, he had some amazing plans for it, and he's making all of those plans come through. And I couldn't be more proud to have my, my group step up and stand beside him in, in honor of the veterans that are working so hard to uncover. And I know that the first year that um, I was out there, did he say something about the lot of uh, section land to plant those? We're trying to figure out, first they want to try to find the actual grave site for these soldiers. And then if we can't find that, we're going to find an area there that's not a burial site and turn it into like the Garden of Heroes. Uh, but we don't know now where we can actually do that. I mean, we're having a massive issue now just finding a spot where I can erect a flagpole. In other words, just about everywhere you step, there's a body. Yeah, pretty much. Um, we know of about 40,000 at um, Woodland. And between East End, Evergreen, and the two pauper cemeteries over there, it's roughly 200,000, I think. So, you know, Ryan and I, when we started going to Evergreen so long ago, God, I think it's been six years or so, um, I mean, we're way back in the woods, man. It, it looked like we were going on a hunting expedition, and we were. We were hunting soldiers, but it was all wooded area. And, you know, just two years ago, woodland looked the same way, and it's doing amazing. So any time that... Anytime that somebody wants to come out and join us, you are more than welcome to. All volunteers are welcome to uh, come place flags with us, come do a prayer with us at the stack. If that's all the time you got for, uh, time for, you know, come out, say a prayer with us at the stack, and go about your day. It's all fine. Uh, you know, it, it's it's just volunteer. And uh, it, I have no words to explain the feeling you get when you're out there amongst all the forgotten, forgotten veterans. Yeah, and it's not just the veterans. Um, yeah. You know, I found half a dozen headstones this weekend that were just poured concrete that were hand engraved. You know, you could tell that they used a stick or something and wrote their loved one's name and dates on just a poured piece of gun stuck in at their grave. You know, so these weren't the wealthy people. I mean, some of them are very notable. You have Dr. John Jasper that started the Mount Zion Baptist Church. Uh, he was well known in Richmond at the turn of the century. Uh, you know, he was one of the earlier... Uh, 
protesters of rights and, and you know, trying to get equal rights amongst all. You know, have a, a world-renowned tennis legend there, Arthur Ashe. And, you know, a couple of years ago, even his headstone and gravesite was just overrun with weeds and not, not hardly visible. So, you know, to stand out there amongst people that you don't know their stories, not just the veterans, but, you know, one of the, one of the headstones I saw that was hand engraved was just, it looked like someone poured it in a, a cardboard mold, maybe, and used a stick and wrote mother. Wow. So... So many stories in our history in a location like that, and it was just left to go back to Mother Nature 40 years. Mm -hmm. It's it's fascinating to me, and I'd love to be able to go through it if I had time in the day, which I I know George Washington only had 24 hours in the day, too. Yeah, well, didn't have a full-time job, really. But I, I would love to just take time and look through the Library of Virginia and see what I could find on these folks. Find stories like I found for Captain Hankins. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of research. But it would be worth it, though. Yeah, it just doesn't pay well. <laughs> I know, but you know. Looking up stuff here and there and... You know, it, it would be fascinating, I think. Some of the stories, I'm sure, would be amazing. But, yeah, Kimmy, uh, LIDAR would be wonderful to have. Um, however, LIDAR is not cheap. Those that have it want a small fortune to bring it in. And I don't know that it would help us find all of the graves, but it would certainly help. And just ground-penetrating radar would be a huge blessing out there. But for the most part, when you get into the back section of woodland, you don't have to look far to find the graves because you can see all the depressions from them. Or you could, or you could fall in them. Yeah, yeah. I folks do that, too. Yeah. Damn, it broke my hip. <laughs> it's a good thing you're not a couple of years older. Feel like I am. Yeah, I remember that fall. But, well, all right, so here's your funny story. So, you know, everybody knows I do construction. I'm, you know, here I sit with sheetrock mud all over me. Um, there's a girl on TikTok named Sheetrock Mud, Sheetrock Shorty, or Drywall Shorty. I've been watching her TikToks, and I'm going, that's some funny shit. Well, then I spot her on stilts, and she's just moving around like it's nothing. She makes that look so easy. I've got 10-foot ceilings in the house I'm working on, and I'm trying to move around two ladders and a walkboard. I'm like, I'm going to get some stilts. I can learn to do this. That shit's hard. (laughs) I fell like a fucking red oak. Do you bounce? Um, no, but it was rather 
funny when all was said and done because the stilts, the way that they hit the floor, the stilts are pointed upward. I was face down, ass up. No, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> yeah, it was not pretty. Oh, my goodness. Did you go back to the two ladders and the walkboard? No, actually, I just worked on one ladder. And today, for the first time in nearly a week, I went put the stilts back on. And I did okay. I didn't fall. But I'll tell you, you ain't running in them some bitches. So if gravity starts to affect you, find the wall. I might have a little more sheetrock to repair, but I didn't drown. Thank God. That's <laughs> gracious. But, yeah, so I had two and a half foot of stilts under me. I'm thinking of these people that walk around, you know, at the state fair, and they got, and it looks like five foot of stilts under them. Like, holy crap, that's got to be cool. No, no, gravity really hates you when you're up there like that. For, for lack of better terms, um, gravity face fucked me. <laughs> and this is why I can't be taken out in public. I am not the friend you answer when you're out in public and you answer a phone call from me on speakerphone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or on but I had fun. Sounds like it. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I had a good time learning to do the stilts. And like I said, I'm, I'm moving down the wall. and I look like a baby giraffe. Jesus. It's okay. I will learn it. Um, like everything else, I refuse to quit. Might be a 911 call involved, but I refuse to quit. Yeah, you'll be all right. As, as long as I can yell at Siri to dial 911, I, I should be fine. Yeah, you'll be fine. You're but, stubborn. Yeah, well, and that's part of what gets me hurt. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I 
start to get out of the truck, and I put pressure on that foot when I got out the truck, and I went right to the asphalt. I went, okay, that's not going to work. So I got back in the truck, called patient first from their parking lot, and asked him to come out with a wheelchair bring my dumbass in. Well, it turns out, well, that day they told me, oh, you just badly bruised it. They wrapped it in a nice bandage. I went back to work, back up on the ladder. Uh, I framed in the opening where the air conditioner unit had been. Uh, sheet rocked over to close it up. Just went about my day. Uh, the next day they called me and said, yeah, we need you to come back in. Crap, I got something in my eye. Sorry, guys. You're it's your It's not that one, though. That one's in your face. Uh, so the next day they call me and they're like, uh, we need you to come back in. Uh, did we see something on that trace? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, fractured your heel and crushed the Achilles where it runs under the heel of your foot. You need to put you in a cast. Why didn't they tell me this yesterday before I went back to work? So they put me in a non-walking cast. And as she's putting it on me, she tells me, All right, now, Mr. Eslock, I need you to understand, this is a non-walking cast, so you can't walk on this, so we're going to give you crutches. So well, I've got crutches at home, but I'm going to walk on the cast because I have to work. She's like, well, you can't walk on this one. You can't shower. You can't get it wet, blah, blah, blah. And I went, can't you just put me in a regular cast because I know I'm going to destroy this one. She's like, well, no, we for this type of injury, we put you on a non-walking cast. And I went, well, this is just a damn mistake. So five days later, I'm back there asking them to put another cast on because I already walked that one off. And honestly, Ronnie, she did not. She, she's got a pretty good healthy chest. Unlike me, but I mean, hers might sag like mine do. They were bigger. <laughs> and for those that are wondering what I'm talking about, Ronnie had the audacity on here to go, a girl on drywall stilts must have small boobs, otherwise she would be off balance and fall. No. Maybe she just has a stronger back than me. I don't know. But plus she's short, so her center of gravity hanging above the stilts wouldn't be bad. Her and she said she's 5'2". Oh, my God, her ass must even it out. You'd be surprised on what we can do as far as, you know, because y'all don't have boobs. You know, we have boobs. You'd be surprised on how we balance, you know, with our ass and our tits. I mean, I'm just saying. Look, just because you got chesticles doesn't make you any better than us. Our <laughs> we are better. Is we are better. We balance better with our chesticles. This is where this shit goes. <laughs> Damn it, Dave. You always start this shit. <laughs> this time we're blaming Ronnie. I don't care. Yeah, it's Ronnie's fault. It's all Ronnie's fault. Damn it, Ronnie. We were trying to keep everything nice and clean. And you hey, Jerry. Ruined it. Point your camera down for a second. I like that shirt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I do too. Yeah, I have yours too. I have very yours. Your shirt. I made hers. Oh, okay. Yeah, my shirt. Okay, 
discharge. I ordered it the night he put it on. Uh, you had your shirt in, what, four or five days? Mm-hmm. I got mine last week. Oh, my God. That's my name on the damn shirt. Oh, my God. Yeah, I like this shirt. It's nice and comfy. How much are you selling them for? Twenty-five dollars. Delivered. Delivered, y'all. Thirty minutes or less guaranteed on delivery. <laughs> there we go. Here. Yep. So mine finally. I should have worn that to the hospital. Oh, that would be. <laughs> but, yeah, the, uh, they would love that one. I I think the uh, quote that I told you guys about with the jackass following me in the Seven Eleven parking lot would make a great shirt too. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. I just I tell I the got, story. I know I got Kimmy, Shayla, oh, Ronnie. Ronnie. Right, I don't know if there's anybody here that I will offend, but if I do, just tune out now. <laughs> so I left work this afternoon, and I pull out on the Route 5, which is a two-lane highway, 55 zone. I've got a heavy foot anyway, so I stomped down. There was nothing behind me. I didn't cut anyone off. Then this Range Rover runs up on me like he's trying to set time trials at White Sands in California or something. Well, I look in the rearview mirror, and I can't even see his headlights. I see like half a windshield up. So he's that far up my ass. I'm running 60 mile an hour in a 50 zone, 55 zone. I'm like, you know, damn, dude, back off. I'm going to stop and get a coffee. So about a mile and a half or so up the road, I hit my blinker to turn into 7-Eleven. I may or may not have given him very short notice. He starts to shoot out to my left to pass me, but there's a car turning left in the turn lane, so he can't go that way. He stands on the brakes, blows his horn at me, and I blew my horn back at him, and I gave him a one-finger salute, let him know he was number one in my book. He rockets on up the road, and I pull into 7-Eleven. This man was ballsy or dumb enough. Turn around and come back to the 7-Eleven. As I'm walking from my truck across the lot, and roaring into the parking lot, he's like, you got a fucking problem? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not the one. So I simply responded to him, I don't have a problem, but if you're going to ride my ass like that, at least pull my hair, spank my cheeks, call me sweetheart, whisper in my ear, something, asshole. Fuck you. Goes back, fuck you. And he flings his door open like he's coming out. And I said, man, that's not a good idea. You are not going to want to do this. It's going to end very badly. I hope you've already dialed 911 because you're going to need them when this shit's over with. So why don't you just go kick your uncle out of the way and fuck your mother? Fuck off. You could see his mouth moving. Like there were words in there. They just didn't know what order.
her to come out and <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <You're dead. laughs> so, yeah, you just the words were there and they just didn't know what order to come out of his mouth in. I I couldn't do anything but laugh at him. I think, and I figured it out. At some point, right, so I used to bounce with my dad. Right, before dad was killed, he was head of security, and I was one of the bounce staff that would work security with him. And we worked in a hotel. Dad picked up the nickname Superman because he, on one fight that was going on in the bar, it was on like two steps down. So he came in and he just Superman's off this upper step and shoulder tackles both of the dudes. Uh, and at that point, I guess dad was probably 50, 55. I'm like, dad, you can't be doing that dumb shit. They're going to break. Right. He's like, yeah, but they stopped, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think what happened is a genetic of some sort occurred and at 50 I have run out of fucks to give I, I think that's what dad's problem was too um, for whatever reason at 50 I just went I don't care anymore I, I speak freely um, those that know me you know Ryan's known me for damn near 10 years um, I, I'm just Just 
genuine. That's They're true. going to tell you the truth. And there's way too many people in this world that will, and you see it on almost every day on your news feed where somebody is complaining about somebody that was one way to their face and another way behind their back. Yeah. I won't play that game. I won't say anything about you to someone else that I won't say to you. And I, I just, I think that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way I was raised anyway. Right. There was no gossip tree where I grew up. It was, you got a problem with Susie, you go tell Susie, you got a damn problem. Yeah. You're right. But unfortunately, the world don't work that way. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. There's, there's, there's too many snakes in the grass. Yeah. That is very true with that, too. you got to watch them walk. And occasionally, there's a strange guy walks through your yard asking if you've seen a snapping turtle. Every so often. We had that happen at Bel Air House, swear to God. Funny as hell. <laughs> but, so, this has been a, a very paranormally enlightening conversation. Yes, very much so. <laughs> so, it doesn't matter, ghosts aren't real anyway. It's a figment of a crack-induced hallucination. No. Wish we could just stop smoking it. But I can't. But I will tell you this. <laughs> see. So I'm going to hide the model number. Shit, let me go over to StreamYard where I can look at the actual cam image. So this little recorder, and I'm hiding the damn model number, generated about the same time as that DR60 that everybody's so crazy about. So my thought is it should have the same basic technology. Um, it does. It picks up so much noise. I haven't used them on investigation. I've only done tests with them here at the house. But I've bought four of these things so far. And they are, God bless them, they're 1% the cost of a ER-60. Jimmy, no, you don't. Don't you dare tell anybody the model number because then the price of one just go through the roof. But I started thinking about it. If that old old school technology was so damn good, the DR60 worked that well, I will start finding recorders from that same era. So I went back and I started looking at like archive ads and things like that. Um, and that's how I came up with, with that recorder. And now I want to test it. And I think the perfect place to do it, Shayla just said it, let's talk about Pamplin. So Pamplin Park, I'm going to have all four of these out. And we're going to see what I can pick up. And I'm going to put one next to my Sony. I'm going to put one next to my H4N. I'm going to put one next to my uh, H2. And I want to see what gets what. And we'll see how that goes. So. Shayla, throw a question about Pamplin in the uh, in the chat. Tell me what you want to know about Pamplin or what about Pamplin you want to talk about. Um, I'll give a brief piece of information about Pamplin. Uh, it's 
full actual name is Pamplin Historical Park and the Museum of the American Civil War Soldier. So the cool thing about Pamplin Park and the museum that they run there is it's not based on the Civil War. It's based on soldiers of the Civil War, not the commanders, not the leaders. We all know what Grant did. We all know what Stonewall Jackson did. We all know what Lee did. But we don't know what John Doe, the soldier, did. So their entire premise is to tell the story and tell the life and times of a normal soldier during the Civil War, be he Union or Confederate. And I think they do a fantastic job. They've got, got thousands of relics in there. They have pocket notes and field letters. and um, you know, it, It's just crazy what all they have in there. Kimmy, stop telling how damn good the recorder is. I don't want everybody to know about it and what it is. <laughs> but um, so as far as what we're investigating, we're going to do the museum, breakthrough trails, and the encampment, that's, uh, and the fortification. We'll do the heart farm. So there's five areas that we're going to cover that night in rotation. Um, the encampment sits right where the Confederates would have camped or just off of it, actually. There is a fortification line that's a, about 100 foot long. I think it's 120 foot long mock-up of the fortification lines that they had there, including the, um, the debris field, the stump field, the sanitation ditch, and then the earthworks itself. The abate is in place for it. Um, it's really cool, and it, it's where Crystal picked up the recording of what sounds like a damn reenactment happening at 1230 or so at night. So, but the whole place has activity. There's nothing, there's nowhere there uh, that is not active. Hey, April, I'll see you Friday, beautiful. Uh, but yeah, Pamphlet is just an outstanding location. One of the coolest EVPs I've ever captured that shook me. Uh, you know, we've all, I think any of us that have investigated a long time, know of the theory that they don't even know they're dead. I was standing on the trails with Jean, uh, Christian from Pandora's Peregrination, and Chris, the uh, chief park ranger, just the four of us standing in the middle of the trails. And I said, hey, guys, let me do a burst session. So I break out the uh, recorder. And I'm like, gentlemen, you're no longer soldiers. You know you no longer have to stay here. You can go home. And clean as can be. Now I've got a male voice. Sounds like a young man standing beside me and says, are we dead? You can hear the inflection can hear the questioning tone of his voice. But that one kind of shook me because it validated all this time where we go, why, why are they here? You know, and immediately I had this picture of this young man, 18, 19, 20 years old or whatever, maybe 16, I don't know, standing guard, standing his line, 
150 years later. But it was, you know, it, it was one of those EVPs that just shook me. Um, you know, that same night, it was our first visit to the park. Now I've got Chris Banchero, who at that time was their uh, chief park ranger, and we're in the way, way back section of it. And he's showing us this giant field where the rifle pits were for the uh, 37th North Carolina's uh, forward lookouts. And a mile away or so on the other side of this field was the Union encampment. And as we turned to walk back towards the main trails, Chris stopped dead in his tracks and cocked his head like a dog hearing a whistle going, well, what the hell is that? And we watched probably two dozen full silhouette shadows walk by the end of our trailhead marching across. And I'm like, dude, that was the coolest shit I've ever seen. It, it was pretty amazing. Pamplin Park is a very active place. It's definitely a cool place. Yeah. But yeah, that that EVP of Are We Dead hit me right in the feels. Yeah. And of course, another one that was really cool, I was standing at a cannon that's down the line, and it's, they're not 100% certain where 37th North Carolina we have a really good idea. So they have a cannon down there just to show it off. And maybe in a smart ass on that fifth or one, call out. Nothing. Thirty seventh, North Carolina, call out. Fuck you. <laughs> Classic. Beautiful recording. Uh, what's your time here? Yeah, oh, I got shit. Fifty four seconds. Thirty five seconds. Alright. So I'll do this real quick. My name is Dennis Heslock. Find me on Facebook. No middle initial. I won't accept friends on that that I haven't known either. All my life, most of my life, or your family. Um, find my team, Commonwealth Researchers of the Paranormal, as you see on the light back here. Uh, if you're interested in one of these LED lights, uh, let me know and I'll hook you up with it. They're 60 bucks. Um, check out the cabin on 360. We have a toy drive coming up December 10th. $25 new unused toy unwrapped gets you access to the cabin, the brick rancher, and 7.2 acres of battlefield. That works. Gonna Very good. I appreciate everybody on air tuning in. So I'm going to hang up with that. I was a hard drinking sinner. With blood on my hands, I was a high-drinking sinner, a gun in my hands, drinking 40 pounds of dinner, till I met a big man, and the man said, I do it do, I do it do, I do
out there this is ryan and welcome to the freaking awesome paranormal show hope everyone had a good weekend i had a it's a fun weekend we went out to uh woodland cemetery and uh evergreen cemetery to place flags for the veterans that are buried out there for veterans day um veterans day is actually on friday we wanted to get the flag up before then, so we went out there Saturday morning and uh, placed the flag. Hey, Kristen, how you doing? Um, it was a uh, it was a lot of fun going out there and uh, and uh, honoring the veterans and stuff. I always enjoy going out there. Um, beautiful day. Couldn't ask for better weather. This was like in the seventies, I think. It was really pretty for um November. Um the ground was a little bit tough, I will say. Um it was had rained here in a while, so yeah, it was it was tough getting the flags in the ground. But other than, other than that, it was fun. You know, we had a good time. It took us a few hours to do, and, and then uh, Dennis and I drove out to uh, Evergreen Cemetery, which is like two miles down the road. Now, the history of of um, us putting flags out, about 2015, I think, Dennis and I started putting flags out, um, maybe a little bit later, maybe 2017. 
but Dennis and I started putting, we went out to Evergreen Cemetery because Dennis had, had been out there with a friend of his. And um, we noticed that a lot of the cemeteries like Hollywood or um, I guess the more well-kept cemeteries had people placing flags by their, by the veterans' headstones. And we're like, well, that's not really fair. There's this, there's this you know, cemetery over here in the Evergreen Cemetery that's kind of been forgotten. So we started going out there and placing flags ourselves. But it's a huge cemetery and a lot, a lot of uh, overgrowth and, like, you know, what weeds and um, poison ivy and just, just these graves were covered with vines and stuff. And uh, so we were out there, just two of us hacking away at these at these overgrowth with machetes trying to get to the uh trying to get to the graves volunteers come in and they help clean up the clean up the site and stuff and we we don't find more and more you know graves out there so fast forward a few years and we've got a great big group of people going out to the green cemetery to place flags because they, you know, they heard about what we were doing. They wanted to help out and join us, and it was awesome. We had a great time, and you know, it was it was fun getting out there, going out there every Memorial Day and Veterans Day. We would go out there with all with all our friends, and and we would, uh, you know, place flags. But then uh, Evergreen was taken over by I think it was the, I think it's called Enrichment Foundation, and they were like, yeah, we don't want you coming back out here to do place flags anymore. So. We weren't able to do that for the past two or three years, I think, yeah, two years. Um, and, but we were finally able to go back out there and uh, place flags uh, at Evergreen. Um, we did not place um, – we did not find all the graves we usually find out there. Uh, we, we, we placed as many as we could, but we spent all morning at, at Woodland, and we just – you know, we had for time purposes, we didn't have time to, to locate all the graves, and plus it was very overgrown again. So it was it was tough finding finding the graves that we did find. We we did a lot of uh, the the no more monuments to graves um, in the big open field when you walk you driving through the gates that Evergreen is a big open field. We did a lot of graves out there, and we went back in the woods and. Uh, I think we did like maybe 200 flags at Evergreen, maybe. Um, but you know, it was fun. We had a good time, and I'm glad we were, we were able to go back out there and um, place flags at, Ever, at Evergreen again. So I'm gonna start recruiting people now. Come out and join us in, on Memorial Day weekend because we had like six people out there on um a saturday and uh we're gonna need a lot more people than that if we're gonna tackle both back tackle both cemeteries and be done you know in a day because it is a lot of there are a lot of graves out there and a lot of and like the guys guys woodland basically said you know we're gonna take your at the end of the year we're gonna take up your flags because it's easier to mow the grass and stuff without the flags there. So then we have to go back next spring and find them all over again. So if you're interested, 
Let's, I'm going to go ahead and find the date now. Let's go. Let's do it. Uh, do, 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 do. I guess the Memorial Day is on so Saturday the 27th when we'll be out there. If it, maybe the 20th. I don't know. One of those two days is when we'll be out at Evergreen and Woodland Cemetery in May. So if you're interested, we'd love your help. Um, but like I was saying before, um, we did go to Woodland Cemetery as well before before we went to uh, to um, Evergreen. And um, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here. Can I do that? Yes. All right. Share my screen. Here I am. All right. I found an article about Woodland Cemetery. I'm going to go ahead and so you guys can know the history of the of you know the cemetery of and the people that are buried there. This is from um, Richmond Cemetery. It's a very cool site if you wanted to learn about various cemeteries in Richmond, Virginia. Um, let's, uh, let's get started. Woodland's story began when the Greenwood Memorial Association formed in 1981, 1891, set it out, led by William M.T. Forrester, who also served as secretary of the Independent Order of St. Luke, the association purchased 30 acres of farmland known as the Hedge Plain on the northern edge of the city for use as a cemetery. The site was not was not far from the Barton Heights Cemetery, then, then under threat by surrounding developers. At the Hedge Plain, white landowners promptly brought suit against Greenwood and were able to close the fledgling cemetery down. Some Greenwood directors turned their strategy towards the East End, where the compatriots in the Evergreen Association had found success, and, and they established the East End Burial Association there. So, Evergreen East End Cemeteries. As Evergreen and East End Cemeteries flourished in the early 20th century, local black entrepreneurs returned their focus to the original Hedge Plain site, Richmond Planet editor John Mitchell Jr. led the creation of the Woodland Cemetery Corporation, which acquired the Hedge Plain grounds on Magnolia Road near Mechanicsville Turnpike in 1917. The acquisition of facilitated was facilitated by the Repton Land Corporation, an entity run by Mitchell for various real estate enterprises. Newspaper advertisements touted the convenience of the cemetery's location as the most remarkable tract of land ever set apart for our people in the state. The cemetery's radial design paid tribute to African-American leaders with circles named after Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington. At its heart, and John Jasper Road bisecting it north and south. Local contractor William R. Mason built an impressive front entrance with pillars and an iron gate. The company soon built a chapel and a keeper's house in the rear of the property, which are still there. Here's a picture of it. And there's one of our flags right there, right there. How about that? By the late 1920s, bank failures and the onset of the Great Depression disrupted the corporation's finances. Here remained popular among the black elite. A series of sales left it in the hands of the UK corporation by 1973, 
under the same ownership as that of Evergreen Cemetery. By that point, time and vandalism had taken their toll. Into the 1990s, national attention to the site prompted the city to make occasional cleanup efforts. While the private owner employed a small work crew, through it all, families continued to visit the site to take care of individual plots as best they could. As with the long-time efforts of David Harris, as well as congregants, congregants, that's hard to say, from Richmond's Sixth Mount Zion Baptist Church in 2003, Veronica Davis offered an important history of the, cem- of the cemetery, and here I lay my burdens down. 2018, an effort to clear the dumping and overgrowth began, spearheaded by a local elementary school teacher, Kathleen Dooley Harrell, and the group has made significant progress. Enrico County and Richmond City Crews have assisted this effort. Soon they were joined by a real soap broker and Maggie Walker High alumnus Marvin Harris. Previously, Marvin Harris had successfully restarted volunteers reclamation of Evergreen Cemetery in 2016. In 2020, Harris launched a GoFundMe campaign to raise money for the purchase of the Woodlife Cemetery from the Ensminger family, survivors of the UK Corporation. Harris's nonprofit foundation, the Evergreen Restoration Foundation, later renamed the Woodland Restoration Foundation, has successfully acquired Woodland later this year with assistance from, from Henrico County. Today, Woodland Cemetery is listed as full, but a significant history and new ownership promises a new beginning. So that is the history of Woodland Cemetery. Uh, let's see. Here's Woodland right here. That's where we park right there. That's a little bit of a history of the, the cemetery you go out to. Uh, we got every Memorial Day and Veterans Day to place flags, and a uh, lot of lot of um, prominent African Americans are buried out there, and a lot of prominent African Americans African Americans are buried out at, at Evergreen Cemetery as well. Um, you know what? Let's see if we can find Evergreen Cemetery on here. Let's look up. Is it Evergreen? Church? No. Hmm. Oh, there is Evergreen Cemetery. Hmm. There it is. All right. Might as well do Evergreen Cemetery too. Evergreen Cemetery was founded by the Evergreen Cemetery Company in 1891, around the time that the venerable Barton Heights cemeteries were nearing capacity and facing pressure to close. Evergreen is located on the east end of town on East Richmond Road across Stony Creek from the city's Oakwood Cemetery. This is in Richmond, Virginia, for those of you who are listening that are not in the area. Evergreen's African-American founders intended to be one of the region's premier burial grounds for black residents during the height of Jim Crow segregation. The cemetery features a geometrical layout with a few curving lanes up to hilly terrain. It was designed by the firm James T. Redden's Sons. The initial 47-acre purchase was soon expanded to 59 acres under a 
reorganized Evergreen Cemetery Association in the early 20th century. Shortly after the opening of Evergreen, another African-American organization, the Greenwood Memorial Association of Virginia, purchased 12 acres of land along Evergreen Cemetery's northern border. One year following the purchase in 1896, the Greenwood Association was forced to return the property to the seller, who then sold the western half of the acreage to the city of Richmond to be used as an additional colored pauper cemetery. Now, I've been to the Pauper Cemetery, and it's pretty much just an open field. They couldn't, paupers means, you know, poor people. They couldn't afford um, uh, homeless people, I guess, were buried out there in, like, I guess a, almost like a mass grave. Um, core members of Greenwood rallied again in 1897 with new leadership with a, in a new name, the East and Memorial Burial Association. That year, the Reformed Association was able to buy back the eastern half of its original tract containing six acres, and by 1917, it expanded East End Cemetery to 16 total acres. Its grounds were bisected by a ravine and featured formal paths and sections along both sides. Now, When you go out to Evergreen Cemetery, it's hard to picture this, what it once was. See the roads, and they're all, like, overgrown with grass, and you barely, you can barely see that there are roads there. But you can tell that, you know, there were, there's pavement there. Some, some of the roads are just completely gone. Um, there are monuments out there, expensive monuments that are in the middle of the woods that have just been overgrown. Um and I know there are cemeteries like that all around, all over the country. It just amazes me that, that you know, these people, they're buried there. They have an idea, like, this is going to, in their heads, they're like, this is going to be a beautiful place forever. This is where I'm gonna, people are going to come visit my grave, all, you know, for years. My family are going to come out here and visit me. Then through, um, I, you know, People not coming out and taking care of their not, not taking care of the the cemetery and just through years of neglect, it becomes almost like a cemetery lost in the woods. Adjoining cemeteries compose one of the largest African American controlled cemetery groupings in the South. Evergreen Cemetery and East End Cemetery would host a, host memorials for some of Richmond's most notable residents, including pioneering bankers, editors, doctors, ministers funeral directors, and educators. Monuments would include a life-size human sculpture, a mausoleum in the Art Deco style, the Walker Family Cross, and thousands of ordinary rectangular markers noting the many fraternal, benevolent, and business organizations formed by the black community for mutual support during the Jim Crow era. In the mid-20th century, conditions at the two cemeteries declined as a result of an extensive campaign of vandalism and dumping that targeted these symbols of black dignity. Construction management at these cemeteries faced struggles as well. An ill-fated investor acquired Evergreen in 1947 only to abandon the site shortly thereafter. In 1970, Evergreen 
was purchased by Metropolitan Memorial Services, and upon bankruptcy, it was purchased by the UK Corporation along with Woodland Cemetery in 1973. Over the same years, Easton Memorial Burial Association lost its charter as its board dissolved. While individual families did what they could to maintain plots at the respective sites, Easton and Evergreen cemeteries became largely overgrown except for one field used for ongoing burials. When the National Park Service acquired Maggie L. Walker, acquired the Maggie L. Walker home in Richmond, Jackson Ward neighborhood in 1979 for a National Historical Historic Site, park rangers and members of Maggie L. Walker Foundation took a renewed interest in the condition surrounding Walker's grave at Evergreen Cemetery. Ranger Jim Bell proved an early leader in the effort. Since then, waves of volunteers have sought to clear the brush and trash and restore dignity to Evergreen and East End cemeteries. Maggie Walker was the first female or black female bank president, I think, ever. So, again, she was a bank president, a female black bank president, and she was buried in this nice cemetery back then. It was really nice. That's where all the rich African-Americans went. And the rich men were buried in um, Evergreen or Woodland. Um, But, you know, through time and... and, uh, the problem was there wasn't any kind of perpetual care for the cemetery. So basically it meant your family had to come out and take care of this, the memoir, the graves and stuff. So, um, you know, people move or there are uh, maybe the East End and Evergreen and Woodlands aren't in the, the best neighborhoods and, you know, and if you get farther away from a, a you know, a generation and you you don't think, well, I, I got to go gr- clean up my great-grandfather's grave or or something. You don't you, you just see it. People have stuff to do and it's, it's, it's life gets in the way. And pretty soon something you would do every week is now, oh, maybe I'll go see my great-grandfather once a year or something like that. And then pretty soon it's done. They just forget about it. And and through the years, then their families die off and and, uh, nobody was there to take care of the graves. So luckily there are a lot of volunteers, like the Friends of East End, and and, um, who take the time to go out pretty much every weekend and clean the, the cemeteries up. You know, we go out there once or twice a year to put flags on the ground, but these guys are out there every pretty much every weekend um, finding graves, cleaning them up, and, um, you know, giving giving to the cemeteries. And uh, like Marvin Harris, the guy who runs uh, Woodland Cemetery, he's out there every – hey, Kim. He's out there every uh, – Every weekend, he's out there all the time, placing or placing. So he's out there cleaning up. You know, he's he's he found a passion 
for the for the cemeteries and he wants to bring it back bring them back to uh respectability i guess um so kudos to them i just want to give you guys a little bit of the history of the locations that we were at this weekend uh let's see here let's let's talk about ghosts now about ghosts baby all right let's see here this is interesting because I've not heard this before. This is from the Mirror UK. But a, apparently a good way to um, tell if your house is haunted is to use your car keys. Let's find out how that works because I am curious. Your car keys can prove if your house is haunted, claims Ghost Hunter. Their re-guy is a professional ghost paranormal investigator from London and has shared his tip 10 ways to tell if your house is haunted, from feeling sudden dips in temperature to losing your keys. All right, let's see. A real-life ghost hunter has revealed 10 ways to tell if your home is haunted and a few tips on what to do to, to get rid of ghosts. Barry Guy, 43, a paranormal investigator, said one telltale sign of a haunting is a sudden and unexplained drop in temperature, and another is constantly losing your keys. Constantly losing my wallet was a way for until there goes, I would definitely have a haunted house. He said, feeling like you are being watched, seeing something unexplained, or even sniff smelling something unusual could be a sign that you have a goal in your gaff. But as a paranormal expert, Barry has also shared some tips on how to get rid of wayward ghosts if you think you might have one in your home. Do do do. I just see Barry right here. Looking cool. Barry from London said, there are so many different ways you can assume that your house might be haunted. The most common version with your own eyes, well, yeah, I'm pretty sure if I saw an apparition with my own eyes, I would assume that the uh, house was haunted. If you see something out of the ordinary, a full-bodied manifestation or a headless horseman floating legs, those are... T- really? If you see something out of the ordinary, a full-bodied manifestation or a headless horseman floating legs, those are the telltale signs. So if I see a headless horseman in my house, that is a good indication that my house is haunted. Well, wow, that is that is profound. The other is feeling like you might be watched. The human body can sense those physiological changes. You might feel like someone is breathing down your neck. Drops in temperature is another one. It goes as ghost hunters. We presume that there if there is there is a sudden or inexplicable temperature drop they, that can indicate a spirit trying to show itself perhaps or in, or an increase in spiritual energy in the home. These temperature drops are usually confined to smaller places like in the living room. That's a creepy looking girl. Look at that. I think there will always be an increase in sightings when people are at home and it's darker and colder and you tend to spend more time at home. With the cost of living 
prices. More people are working from home, and the heating will be will be off to save money. You acclimate acclimatize to the cold temperature, so if there's a cold spot, you might feel it more. So there may be an increase with, with potential paranormal activities in people's homes. Barry said others can include things going missing, so if you often can't find your keys, you might have a very haunted home. To reach yourself of ghosts, Barry recommends burning sage, saying prayers, or exorcisms, and if all those fail, you could Try asking politely. I might politely before I go for the exorcism route. That might be the first thing I do. If that's like all, you know, if that's like something that might actually work, I would try asking politely, then burn sage, and then I guess the exorcism part, but I mean, I already think of exorcism for like demons and stuff, not spirits. I mean, you know, if you want to go exorcism first and then ask nicely, uh, I know I bought a priest in here, but could you please leave? I don't know. It seems like the order is kind of messed up there. Um, the best thing to do is not to panic. First, that's the key. Then try to gather as much evidence as you can, taking photographs, videos, or recording audio. Okay, let's see. Find your house is haunted. All right. Feeling of being watched. Frequent problems with electrical items, TVs, lights, and cookers. Um, number three, sudden extra drops, witnessing moving objects. Objects moving, objects moving by themselves, bringing smells that seem to come up, come and go, like the light scent of perfume, an unknown infestation of flies or insects, maybe a scent of demonic presence, mm. the disembodied sounds of footsteps, talking, crying, laughing, being moved. If I hear someone talking, I'm not there. You know, it's that's a pretty good indication that the house may be haunted. Doors, windows, cups cupboards and curtains opening and closing by themselves, seeing shadow figures or a fleeting glimpse of something moving in your peripheral vision, coming face-to-face with full-body apparition or partial manifestation is a sure way to know your house may be haunted. Yes, if you run into a paranormal in uh, run into a paranormal, if you run into a apparition or the uh, headless horseman in your house, your house may very well be haunted. So you can take that to the bank. Now we're going to learn about black-eyed kids. And this is from the mirror. UK. I'm going to get all my stories from there. That throat is hurting. He did like a throat logging or something. Do I have a I think I had like a pause or something somewhere around here. Hmm. Yeah, there they are. Pause. Relief. Cough and teeth. Sore throat. Cherry flavored. Goodness. Right here. I'll do it about talking. We'll see how long my voice lasts. All right. 
So I'm a you are bigger. What do you? For those you listening and you know feel like commenting on something, do you prefer um, cherry cough drops or honey? There's honey lemon ones. I enjoy the honey lemons ones personally. Got those in my car. Let's see here. They've got Paul's Relief, which I have here. They have Paul's Food, which I guess is the honey eucalyptus. Breathers is like a choose everyday sore throat irritation. That's like a strawberry one right there, like a strawberry cream. And the Hall's Defense helps support the immune system. I need one of those, the Hall's Defense, because I get sick all the time. And it's, it's the annoying kind of sickness. Like the, you know, the upper respiratory infections, you know, that just wipe you out for like a few days. So I might purchase some of these Paul's Defense uh, and just suck on those. Maybe get my immune system back up to back up to par. I've never had a Hall's Breather, though. That'd be something worth looking into as well. Paul's Relief looks like it's mint. And my issue said, I do not like mint-flavored things. All right. Let's see. Teenagers' creepy encounter with black-eyed children who encircled tent before vanishing. Mm. Two teenagers have recalled a terrifying encounter with a black-eyed child at a Staffordshire forest. The young couple claimed a ghostly girl encircled their tent while giggling and moving in ways humans simply cannot hide to hide behind trees. Uh, to, to, while some, uh, there have been sightings of her around Canic Chase since 1980s reports, Birmingham Live. While some dismiss the claims, others believe it is the tormented soul of a young girl who was murdered in the area during the 1960s, and some are even convinced it is an alien or demon. Green mask. The two teenagers whose names have been changed to protect their identity had been separated due to the COVID pandemic, so decided to camp uniquely together in the middle of the forest. The, young, the youngsters, who were 17 at the time, recounted their ordeal to supernatural investigator and author Lee Brickley. Their tale is featured in his new book, Haunted Canic Chase. The two ghost stories from the UK's spookiest location. It was around midnight when the teens heard something moving around outside their tent. Thinking it could be a deer, they remained still and quiet, not wishing to spook it. But then when they realized they could hear footsteps, they unzipped the tent to take a peek. Both campers heard the sound of a small girl giggling, so they turned on their torches, flashlights, lighting up the dark woodland to try and find the source. Ben spotted it first, running from tree to tree, hiding itself behind the trunks and occasionally peering out towards the couple before before finally stopped stepping out into the clearing in front of them. And they cannot talk tonight. Kylie said, I was, absolute, I was absolutely terrified. I'd read the stories in the news about the black-eyed children 
but it wasn't the sort of thing stepped right out in front of me that I could believe them. And they, instantly they were dealing with this real thing because it moved in human ways. Humans simply can't, in ways human can't, I can't even talk. I got a good British accent. Moved in ways humans simply can't move. It was like it could teleport from one place to another when it was moving around and hiding behind the trees. Ben added, I was shining my torch right at her, and she just stood there staring at us with her head slightly dipped. That's when the giggling started to get louder and louder. Yeah, if I if I am camping in the woods, or else why where else would I be camping? But I was camping, and I heard a giggling outside my tent. And I my torch and flashlight, and there was a girl with her head dipped down like the ring, and she's laughing the whole time. Yeah, I might get my I might get out of there. I mean, I might try to get some pictures. I am a paranormal investigator, but I think my first man. I think my first like idea would be to get the hell out of Dodge. Hey Tyler, um, yeah, I have to come back check out my uh, chat because I'm not, you know, I'm kind of you know, reading these stories. I forget to chat and see who's in there with me. Um, but yeah, I would definitely would probably uh, think about. Uh, moving or leaving pretty soon. I knew instantly that one that we were dealing with the real thing because it moved it away. Okay, yeah. Got that part. Let's see here. It was really, really disorientating, disorientating for a few seconds. Then she bent down for a moment as if adjusting her shoes, stood back up and ran down a nearby path through a dense section of trees. The frightened pair huddled together in their tent, waiting for the sun to rise. When they came indoors at 7 a.m., they, find they found piles of stones evenly placed around the perimeter of their tent and strange thick stick formations hanging from the trees which looked like dream catchers. Slightly shaken, piles of stones evenly placed around the perimeter of their tent and strange, this like sounds like the Blair Witch Project. Slightly shaken, they packed up and started the 15-minute walk back to Ben's car. Suddenly, Kylie spotted a small child with black eyes peering back at her from behind the oak tree and screamed. Ben then said he shouted, leave us alone, as the pair ran off towards his vehicle. Mm. I'm walking around the cabin, the woods behind the cabin. And I find, uh, you know, weird stone form, stone, stone formations and dream catchers in the, uh, actually, I'm not, I'm not, that might actually be pretty cool, to be honest. Again, I would not want to be out there being a black-eyed child by myself. Um... If you, if you are if you are if you're not expecting to see a black-eyed child, if you were just camping with your girlfriend and you come and you and you're in a tent, all of a sudden you hear giggling and you see a look outside and you see a girl that had her head bent head bent down like the ring, I would that would be pretty scary. But if you're investigating and you go out there and you're expecting it to happen, 
that's completely different. Although it would still freak me out, I would probably, uh, like I said, try to take pictures at least, do some kind of uh, like recordings or something um, before I, I, I left the premises. But that's just me. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. Ooh, here's one. Maybe you guys can watch the video. Let's see here. Am I video volume up? Yes, it is. Ghost Hunter claims to caught to have caught Spectre in chilling video. All right, guys. Chilling video. Video loading. Let's see here. A ghost hunter claims he caught a specter on, on video during a chilling investigation of an abandoned mill. Andy Pollard, also known as the Yorkshire Ghost Guy, visited the dilapidated building in Matlock, Derbyshire. See, I was... I think it's Derbyshire or maybe Derbyshire. Never sure what is the right word, way to say those words. During, it, during an investigation, he set up a camcorder as he looked around the ruins. At one point, he walked through a doorway and, checking the footage after getting home, spotted what he believed to be a ghostly specter following him. Uh, still loading. He said of the footage, I have an interest in the paranormal and go out on occasion to investigate locations in and around Yorkshire. Last night, I ventured out to Matlock, Derbyshire, Derbyshire, and I think I've caught what appears to be some sort of apparition on camera. Well, it's pretty cool if it actually works. Um, being alone makes me feel a little nervous. I did feel a little uneasy and actually commented, commented in the full-length video I was getting a lot of electronic K2 light responses from the doorway. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think I would be very good at investigate by myself. I know a lot of people can do that, you know, and uh, more power to them. But I think I have a very active imagination, I, and I think I'm very, I think I'm more aware of sounds and stuff when I've been by myself. And I would just, I think every sound I hear would be like, what was that? What was that? I feel more relaxed when I'm with somebody. Um, Maybe the safety in numbers thing, but I'm just not one of those people who would do very well investigating by myself. I did feel a little uneasy and actually commented in the the full-length video I was getting a lot of electronic K2 light responses from the doorway. I'm not too sure who or what it could be. Andy also seemed to get a response on the K2 meter, a device used to detect spikes in the electromagnetic field, which paranormal investigators believe may indicate the presence of spirits. At one point, he asked the spirit to acknowledge it was there and was in the area by pressing on the green light, which then flashed. Andy said on the video, thank you for, for that communication. Are you still here? I'm sorry to intrude. I'm just nosy. Am I okay to be here? 
hope this video works. I want to kind of see, I want to see it now. Come on, video. All right, guys. It is almost 9.50, and my throat is killing me, so I'm going to go ahead and stop the sh- in the show now. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, sorry the video, I'm sorry the video did not work. I don't know what's wrong. The mirror, UK sites, very slow. People need to, people over there need to uh, get their videos working, I guess. Everyone has a great night, and I will talk to you later. Goodbye. I'll be back here at Same Freaking Awesome Time, Same Freaking Awesome Channel, and uh, hopefully I'll have a guest next week. If anybody wants to come on the show, let me know. I'd love to have you on. Have a good night. Bye.